You're listening to InfoTrack. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at InfoTrackRadio.com. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. In an effort to reduce consumption of sugary drinks, some cities are putting a tax on the sweet beverages. Is it fair? And is it working? With this story, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Grant Donnelly is an associate professor of marketing at The Ohio State University's Fisher College of Business, and he's the lead author of this study that examined how effective sugary drink taxes are in discouraging their use. So, Professor Donnelly, do a lot of cities or states have these special taxes targeting sugary drinks, and how high are the extra taxes on the drinks in those locations? Yes, over seven cities in the United States and 40 countries have a sugary beverage tax. Most typically, this tax is one cent per ounce. So if you get a traditional like single beverage, it's about 12 cents because it's 12 ounces. And many of these cities who have sugary beverage taxes actually, in order to get them passed or to garner public support, have earmarked all of these funds towards social programs like pre-K education and the like. Aside from the usual soft drinks we all know, what other kinds of drinks typically fall under this umbrella? Yeah, these drinks include any drinks typically that have added sugars. There are a couple of cities that also tax diet beverages, but for beverages that have added sugars, these include your traditional like Coke or Pepsi, but also a lot of energy drinks have added sugars and some fruit juices also have added sugars that will be taxed as well. And I assume this is in restaurants, not just in convenience stores or grocery stores, that sort of thing, right? This occurs, yeah, in a variety of different venues. Is this in any way a regressive tax? Does it hit lower income people more heavily than higher income people? That's an important question because the evidence that I've seen does suggest that lower income people consume more sugary beverages. And some of the studies that I've seen in Philadelphia have looked at whether or not people will cross like the state border so they could buy their sugary beverages you know, somewhere else. And understandably, you can imagine people who have lower income have less ability to travel far or, or spend time to do that or invest the resources to do that. So, you know, it's ultimately putting the burden for these social programs on lower income people, right? If they're going to be the ones buying these beverages more. So let's get to your study. Before we get to the actual results, though, tell us what exactly you wanted to determine and then how you went about doing that. As we just talked about, there's been a lot of movements to kind of regulate sugary beverages. And one of the primary regulations is to tax them. And I was super curious when Philadelphia passed a sugary beverage tax, which earmarked the funds to pre-K education, I had a couple of questions. One, I saw a professor, Sarah Bleich at Harvard, give a talk at my university at the time where she showed there was a lot of variance in how firms were communicating the tax. So you could imagine a firm might want to make it clear to a customer that, hey, it's not us that's you know raising the price. We're being forced to do so. So you might make it really explicit that there's a tax on the beverage. And you know a firm might also just choose to just update the price without marking it. And I wondered from that, I was like, oh, does that have any influence on whether or not the tax is effective? And I was also curious too, as an aside, when we are earmarking a tax to say a beneficiary like pre-K education, does a tax somehow do we start to think of it as a donation rather than a tax? And if so, does that kind of influence how effective it is? And when I say effective, does that 
you know, reduce the purchasing of these beverages and, and encourage people to make more healthy beverage choices. So let's hear the results. How effective are these taxes in reducing the sale of these products? We ran a field experiment in a couple of convenience stores in San Francisco, which is a city that has a one cent per ounce tax on sugary beverages. The retailer that we did the study in, they did pass the tax on to customers. However, their practice at the time of us kind of joining forces was that they didn't actually label any of their beverages for prices. And this is pretty common in convenience stores where they just you know place beverages on the shelf. So what we ended up doing is we put different types of price tags on their drinks to see how it affected purchasing. What we first did is when we came in, we just placed a tax-inclusive price. So for a 12-ounce can of a sugary beverage, it would typically be about $1.52. And then we kept that up for a little while. We assessed purchasing. And then we took that price tag away and we put a new one on that said $1.52 includes sugary beverage tax. We left that up for a little while, assessed purchasing, and then introduced a third label that said this beverage is $1.52 includes sugary beverage tax, tax benefit student programs. And so we, again, evaluated whether people purchased sugary beverages differently. And so what we see is a few things. One, the convenience store had this tax in effect for about a year before we did our study. So we looked at historical data and saw that the introduction of the tax without any labeling, so this was the current practice of the firm to not have any price tag, didn't reduce purchasing of sugary beverages. It did about 1%, but this was a non-significant drop. When you added the price tag, so people saw the price, that also didn't change. But when you included the include sugary beverage tax label to the thing, we saw a pretty substantial significant drop in purchasing of sugary beverages, around 5 to 10%, depending on what you're comparing it to. And then when we looked at the student beneficiaries, so, you know, framing the tax as maybe a donation, we actually saw it just as effective as a tax salient label saying that. So most people, are, it appears, are looking at the information that it includes a tax. And so what we see, though, is that it didn't hurt sales in the convenience stores. In fact, people bought just as many beverages as they did before. They just bought water and diet beverages more frequently. So these were beverages that weren't taxed. Interesting. Our guest on InfoTrack is Professor Grant Donnelly from Ohio State University, the lead author of a study that examined the effectiveness of taxes on reducing consumption of sugary drinks. Obviously, there certainly is an obesity epidemic in America, and these drinks do play a role, don't they? Yeah, certainly sugar-sweetened beverages typically have a few hundred calories. And, you know, people often don't satiate the same way to calories in liquid form that they do in consuming a food. So people consume a lot of these beverages and they consume a lot of calories kind of unknowingly. So there is growing research consensus that the consumption of these beverages is definitely associated with obesity, diabetes, and tooth decay. The beverage industry would say, well, including these in a balanced diet with exercise should alleviate some of those problems. But what we see is that people are drinking a lot of these beverages and consuming quite a few calories quite quickly without feeling full. So I think that is one of the challenges. These beverages typically have very little in the way of nutritional value that might be beneficial if you're consuming foods, you know, that would have similar amounts of calories. So do you think these sorts of sin taxes will become more widespread or will they stay confined to the current handful of cities around the country? I'm not sure what to predict. So my understanding is that the beverage industry has negotiated with a variety of states 
to prevent sugary beverage taxes from continuing. So I believe California has some sort of regulation or agreement that they won't introduce any new sugary beverage taxes for 10 years. And so therefore, I'm not predicting that we will see an increase in that state, at least. And while the number of cities that were adopting these policies grew quite rapidly a few years ago, we haven't seen much growth recently. And this might be in response to some of the beverage industry and their kind of lobbying efforts. But I think it also might speak to, given the current economic circumstances where people might have more constrained resources because of the economy, there might be less appetite to tax people. These sugary beverage taxes have generated substantial revenue for whether it be, you know, the city's general fund, which is the case in San Francisco, or earmarked for, say, pre-K education like in Philadelphia. So there is kind of this economic argument for cities because it's a way in which they've been generating some substantial revenue to support these efforts. Grant Donnelly, Assistant Professor of Marketing at The Ohio State University's Fisher College of Business. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.